Good morning, everyone. I think I could get used to this. Particularly if we're going to have a, a Nick Temple feed after every service as well. Certainly get used to that. My name is uh, Clay, if we've not met before. Uh, and I'm a work in progress. Prophecies. God says stuff. And uh, we can choose to listen. We can choose to receive and allow him to sow his word in our hearts and allow it to accomplish a work. Or we can ignore them and do whatever we want. And throughout the history of God's people, they've mostly chosen the latter. So if we were to follow their lead, we'd probably be in good company. What are we going to do with the word, the words that God has been speaking over our church family? Some prophecies are given to warn people of judgment that is coming coming in the future, a warning so that they may change their ways. Others are given to encourage people about blessing that is coming, encouragement for restoration that is coming. What's interesting is when you look at the prophecies in the Old Testament of judgment coming, they are side by side with prophecies of blessing and restoration coming. It's not God's heart to destroy. It's his, his heart to restore and to build. But sometimes to get to the rebuilding, some other things need to be pulled down first. Some prophecies help us understand what God is leading us into or even what we are experiencing right now. So that we might find him in our circumstances and grow in them. There was a prophecy spoken over us in 2012. A prophecy that conjured the images of uh, a cruise ship and a landing ship. And this is one of those prophecies that does that, that helps us understand the season that we were in, the season that we are coming into, a season of wilderness, a season of preparation, a season of transformation. Let's talk about that this morning. Is that all right? You got your prophecy book? It's all right. I'm gonna, I'm gonna read it. All right, this is where I am. You can get one of these at the info counter. I'd encourage you to do so. There was a cruise ship where people were eating, drinking, being merry, laughing, cruising. Then it changed to a landing ship. An incredible sense of readiness and purpose, alertness, war. Everybody on board knew their task and were living for this purpose. 
I don't remember this. I don't, I don't remember when he said it. Was I here when he said it? Was I in the room? I don't remember that being said. And reading it later, it meant absolutely nothing to me. But then I wasn't really looking into it at all. I wasn't asking the Lord, what does this mean? I have at times been a little sceptical of prophets. Uh, the Lord wanted me to have another look at this one. Because it turns out this one was going to have a significant impact on my life. Hence, I'm preaching on it today. Let's break this down. The vision that David was given of the rock was of a cruise ship. What's the deal with a cruise ship? A cruise ship, oh, that looks gorgeous, doesn't it? Oh, who wants to be on that? You probably are, spiritually, so we'll, we'll break this down. What's, what's the deal with a cruise ship? A cruise ship is designed for comfort. It's designed for entertainment. And ultimately, it is designed to make money. That's its purpose. It is designed to make some people happy. Not all people, just those who are being entertained and those people who are making all the money. It's very good at that. There are two kinds of people on a cruise ship. There are the staff and there are the passengers. The staff, as I'm sure you can imagine, are there to serve the passengers. The passengers are there to sit back and relax and drink and eat and make merry. The staff do all the work. The passengers don't have to do a thing. They don't even have to make their beds. They don't have to do the dishes. Everything is done for them. Now a landing ship, oh, that's a very different thing altogether. A landing ship, and the word said landing ship, so I went with a landing ship rather than a landing craft, and if you have any knowledge of naval uh, vessels, there's a difference, but landing ship, this is a naval vessel, a military ship that has a very particular purpose. And the purpose of a landing ship is to transport military personnel, vehicles, supplies, and other equipment to a war zone for deployment into a battle. You noticing any differences with the cruise ship? There are no passengers on a landing ship. Everyone on board has a job. They have a role, and it is crucial Everyone is working towards the same mission. Everyone has the ultimate same purpose, the accomplishment of the mission that has been handed down. And so it is with the church. If you have scriptures with you, please turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 12.
reading from verse 7. Now to each one, the manifestation of the Spirit is given for the common good. To one there is given through the Spirit a message of wisdom, to another a message of knowledge by means of the same Spirit, to another faith by the Spirit, to another gifts of healing by that one Spirit, to another miraculous powers, to another prophecy, to another distinguishing between spirits, to another speaking in different kinds of tongues, and to still another, the interpretation of tongues. All these are the work of one and the same Spirit, and he distributes them to each one just as he determines. Unity and diversity in the body. Just as a body, though one has many parts, but all its many parts form one body, so it is with Christ. For we were all baptized by one Spirit, so as to form one body, whether Jews or Gentiles, slave or free, and we were all given the one spirit to drink. Even so, the body is not made up of one part, but of many. Now, if the foot should say, because I am not a hand, I do not belong to the body, it would not for that reason stop being part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I am not an eye, I do not belong to the body, it would not for that reason stop being part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would the sense of hearing be? If the whole body were an ear, where would the sense of smell be? But in fact, God has placed the parts of the body, every one of them, just as he wanted them to be. If they were all one part, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts but one body. The eye cannot say to the hand, I do not need you. The head cannot say to the feet, I don't need you. On the contrary, those parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. The parts that we think are less honorable, we treat with special honor. And the parts that are unpresentable are treated with special modesty. While our presentable parts need no special treatment. But God has put the body together, giving greater honor to the parts that lacked it. So that there should be no division in the body. But that its parts should have equal concern for each other. If one part suffers, every part suffers with it. If one part is honored, every part rejoices with it. Now you are the body of Christ, and each one of you is a part of it. There are no divisions here. There's no staff and passengers. Each one of us is crucial, has a role. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 7 and then 11 to 16. It follows on the same idea. To each one of us, grace has been given as Christ apportioned it. Verse 11, so Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, and teachers to equip his people for works of service. These aren't staff, by the way. These are gifts. To equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature. This is the mission, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Then we will no longer be infants tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of people and their deceitful thinking. Instead, Speaking the truth in love, we will grow to become in every respect the mature body of him who is the head, that is Christ. From him, the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, 
grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. If you've been in this community for the last year or more, you might have heard a bit of teaching on the fivefold. Those particular gifts mentioned here, the apostle, the prophet, the teacher, the pastor, the evangelist, and how important they are for building and rebuilding the church according to the blueprint that God had. And I've preached a lot of that. And as important as they are, and they have been raised up, and we are seeing them utilized more and more in the church, every other gift in the body is also essential and crucial. It's not just these five that do all the work. It's not just the staff that do all the work. It's not just the elders and the senior leadership who do all the work. Every supporting ligament, every brother and sister in the house of God is important and necessary for us to become who it is that God is calling us to. But that is not the model that we have been operating under. There are no passengers on a landing ship. Everyone on board has a job, a role, and it is crucial. Everyone is working towards the same mission. So it is in the church. There aren't supposed to be any passengers in here. We have a role, we have a purpose. A purpose that God is calling each of us to within the greater purpose he has for his church. He has given us spiritual gifts. He has given us passions. He has given us skills. He has given us resources to equip us for this calling, for this role. But as God looks down on his church, he doesn't see a highly functioning, well-oiled military machine. At the moment, he looks down and he sees a cruise ship with half of us cruising. This is an issue that he specifically raised in this prophetic word from 2012. And it is an issue that he is specifically addressing here at the rock in a restructure that is about to roll out. And is already rolling out. It's not just word now. As of mid-April, all but one of our current ministry roles will cease to exist. Including mine. There just won't be the workers on staff to do all the work that they have been doing around here. God's plan is not and never was for a small staff to carry the workload of his church. His plan for the church was for the church to carry the load, yoked with him, filled with his spirit. But along the way, we adopted a different model. I don't just mean the rock. I mean church with a big C throughout history, raising up a clergy who had all the knowledge, had all the power, had all the authority, had all the money. 
That's not his plan. Psalm 110 verse 3 says, Your people will volunteer freely in the day of your power. Surely that day is upon us. Now, I don't want in any way to minimize the substantial contribution that volunteers make and have made in this place, in this community. Our volunteers are amazing. They're just a minority. And that is that has got to change. Something else that has to change is us, is me. I am changing, and I need to keep changing. One thing that this whole restructure thing has done is it's helped me to see that I've been holding on to some things. And I've, I've been identifying myself in a way that God doesn't identify me as. I've uh, come to really love what I do. I've come to really love uh, the influence that I have here, as I have in other communities that I've served in. And I've come to define myself according to a role. And that's not how, that's not how he defines me. I, um, I gotta, I gotta admit, I was really shocked. I was shocked to the core of me to hear that I was losing my job because I had come to believe that the job and my service in it had become indispensable. And surely what I did here, discipleship, teaching, was I knew it to be core of the church. I knew going forward this is what God wanted us to be focusing on. So surely I couldn't be losing my job. And so I was praying for my colleagues, my poor colleagues, because some of them would have to go. I was under the impression that the restructure we were coming into was about money. Because there wasn't enough money, we were going to have to trim down, be more efficient, lose some people. Not me, obviously, but some other folks. I didn't have a clue. I've come, I've come to believe now that if ever, like over the last six months, if everyone reorganized their finances and started hard out religiously tithing at, at 10% of their gross and the coffers were full and overflowing, that that might have delayed the inevitable. But what God wanted to do was not make the rock more efficient. He wanted us to be different. He needed me to be different. He needed the way we operated to be different. He needed the church to be the church. He needed me to let go of a job and the security that comes with it. Have you ever heard me share much of my, my testimony, particularly when I was a, when I was a kid? And the lessons that he taught me in depending on him and trusting on him for provision. Stories of there being no food in the pantry and mum crying herself to sleep in prayer. 
and how faithfully every day he provided. What that taught me about him and his faithfulness. Which I've forgotten. Because I don't need the Lord to provide for me miraculously with food appearing anymore. I've got a stable job. I have got a stable job here. That's locked in. I'm fine. And so my revelation of a faithful God has been growing dim. And I've become too comfortable. And so I'm not growing the way I once was. It's not just that the structure of the church needs to change here. I need to change here. And I don't know that if I was to continue the way I had been just doing my job, that I would have. I just get immersed in the study. I get immersed in the scriptures. I get immersed in the teaching and the planning. Where is the me and him in that? He's had enough of that. And the time is now. And so my job has to go because there's something better for me. And I don't know if that's a better job. I don't want another job. This is the only thing I want to do. He has a better me for me. This is the most significant thing that God is calling us into, the most significant change. It's not the structure of the church, it's, it's us. On the prophetic landing ship, the people were alert. They were ready, they had purpose. These are signs of equipping and maturity. And that is what God has been trying to do here over the last few years. And is committed to persevering and until he returns. We could benefit from that work if we can be humble to receive it and seek what he has for us, not what we want. On a naval vessel, what you want is irrelevant. What the commanding officer says, that is what counts. That's what matters. Orders in our Navy come from the commanders. Every ship has seamen who are accountable to petty officers, who are accountable to chiefs and to officers, who are accountable to the captain, to the CO, who is accountable to the chief of Navy, who is accountable to the chief of the Defence Force, who is accountable to Parliament, and to the Governor-General, who is accountable to the Queen. Authority and accountability are huge in the Navy. It's what the whole structure is based on. And guess what? It's the same in the Kingdom of God. It may not look the same. There might be a different spirit in which uh, that is manifest, but it's there, and it's crucial. On a cruise ship, the staff are bound by the terms of their employment contract, and the passengers are bound by the terms and conditions of the ticket that they purchased. 
On a naval vessel, however, every sailor is bound by the oath that they swore to when they were enlisted. I, Derek N. McGregor, solemnly promise and swear that I will be faithful and bear true allegiance to our Sovereign Lady the Queen, her heirs and successors, and that I will faithfully serve in the New Zealand Naval Forces, and that I will loyally observe and obey all orders of Her Majesty, her heirs and successors, and of the officers set over me, until I shall be lawfully discharged. So help me God." It's the oath my father took when I was a when I was a real little kid. And Dad served on HMNZ Taranaki as a seaman gunner, a weapon man. Man, I was proud of him. The big four point five inch turrets on our frigates. That was Dad's job. And after that on the Waikato, as a leading seaman and a petty officer, he was the fire controller. For the sea cat missiles. Oh, even cooler. For years as a little man, all I drew were frigates and gun turrets and missiles. And I'd take that to school and I'd, there'd be a little stick figure on that, on that gun turret or next to the missiles and that was my dad. And he swore that oath. It makes me think about the oath that I've sworn. I've never been on a cruise ship. Not unless you count the Inter-Islander. <laughs> and I don't imagine that you do. But I have been on a naval vessel. Not a landing ship per se, but a Leander-class frigate. Dad took me on a couple of times on open day. And oh, I just wanted to live on this boat. And I can, th I can think back now and I, I remember so clearly the smell of a warship. The marine diesel, the salt, and the gun oil. Really strong smell. You can taste it. The principles are the same. The culture. I was a kid when, when dad took me on the ship and to this day. I remember that and I remember how proud he was of where he served and who he served. Now this prophecy, it's a metaphor. Obviously the rock is not literally a cruise ship and it's not literally a landing ship. But there are some aspects of these metaphors that speak to our current state and the redeemed state that God is calling us to. Again, this is a metaphor. Greg is not literally a naval captain that we must obey his every order or face a court-martial. But there is a prophetic truth in this metaphor for us to find and feed on. Greg, I've come to see as a man under authority, the authority of God. And God has given him a measure of his authority to lead God's people here 
with a team of spirit-filled elders. Their authority is delegated from heaven. Authority is a biblical concept. Consider Matthew 8, 5 to 10. When Jesus had entered Capernaum, a centurion came to him asking for help. Lord, he said, my servant lies at home paralyzed, suffering terribly. Jesus said to him, shall I come and heal him? The centurion replied, Lord, I do not deserve to have you come under my roof, but just say the word and my servant will be healed. For I myself am a man under authority with soldiers under me. I tell this one, go, and he goes. And that one, come, and he comes. I say to my servant, do this, and he does it. When Jesus heard this, he was amazed and said to those following him, truly, I tell you, I have not found anyone in Israel with such great faith. This man understood authority in earthly terms, but he could see how authority works in spiritual terms as well. And he could see the authority on Jesus. Consider also Jesus' words in Matthew 28. Jesus came to his disciples and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you, and surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Jesus was sending his disciples out in his authority. In this case, specifically, he was sending out the apostles to minister in his authority to fulfill the mission that he had launched. While we may not be court-martialed in this life for our disobedience, for our failure to obey an order, we will be held accountable for what we do with the revelation that God has given us. Consider also Paul's words in 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 10. This is why I write these things when I am absent, that when I come, I may not have to be harsh in my use of authority, the authority the Lord gave me for building you up, not for tearing you down. The authority that he gives has a purpose, a benevolent purpose. It has nothing to do with a leader building an empire for themselves. There's nothing to do with, with them filling their coffers. It has nothing to do with them lording it over us. The purpose for which God gives his authority is for building up his church. That is the way that we are to respond to it. First of all, recognizing that authority comes from heaven, it comes from God, and that it is given for a purpose that we want to see happen. We want to see God's church built up. But when we resist the authority that he places there, no wonder we don't see it happen. We're the ones getting in the way. And for years, I was one getting in the way. First Thessalonians 4. As for other matters, brothers and sisters, we instructed you how to live in order to please God, as in fact you are living. Now we ask you and urge you in the Lord Jesus, do this more and more, for you know what instructions we gave you by the authority of the Lord Jesus. Hebrews thirteen seventeen, 
Have confidence in your leaders. Submit to their authority because they keep watch over you as those who must give an account. Do this so that their work will be a joy, not a burden, for that would be of no benefit to you. Well, it's pretty hard to get clearer than that one. That's a hard one though, isn't it, Greg? For you will be held accountable for the authority that has been placed on you. As will everyone here who carries a measure of authority. Greg carries it well. Working under him these last seven years, I've seen his determination to, despite what quite a lot of opposition, to faithfully fulfill that which God has given him. Words spoken against him, harsh words, personal words spoken against him, but he straight stayed true to the course that God had given him. I'm not worried for Greg when he meets the Lord on that day because I see him faithfully fulfilling the work that God has given him. His use of authority. Humble. It's been an honor to serve with you on staff, bro. What's cool, though, is that the end of my role here isn't the end of that much at all. It's a job. It doesn't change who God has called, it, called me to be and what he's called me to do in his kingdom. Just not going to get paid for it. Like the rest of you. <laughs> Glad you find it funny, Warren. <laughs> On a cruise ship, you can do pretty much whatever you want. On a landing ship, there is authority, there is a line of command. And that's how God works in the kingdom. And this has been a hard revelation, but I'm getting it. And I've found that the more I can just let go and submit, the work that he does in me is phenomenal. And that was certainly huge in my testimony these last few years. On a cruise ship, it's every man for himself, as was certainly the case uh, back in 2012, Costa Concordia. The Italian cruise ship went down. Yeah, the officers and staff on there, for the most part, it was all for themselves. But on a landing ship, each sailor, each soldier would lay down his life for his brother. Just as Jesus modeled and has called us to do, to lay down our life for each other. How do you think of the people around you now, sitting around you? Are they strangers? Are they fellow passengers? Or are they family? Brothers and sisters in arms? Would you give your life for them? Would you give your life to God in the service of his church? That is what so many disciples that have gone before us were prepared to do. And did do, even in these days, in countries all over the world, brothers and sisters are giving up their lives for their faith, for their God, for their brothers and sisters. And for many of us, it's hard enough to give up time, a fraction of our income. The prophecy warns 
that war is coming. And are you ready for it? One thing we must always remember when we are dealing with military metaphors in the church is that our struggle is not against flesh and blood. It is against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. And that though we live in the world, we do not wage war as the world does. The weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. We demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. We take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. God isn't preparing us to fight ISIS. You know that, right? That's not what discipleship is about. That's not what the preparation is. To take up guns and fight ISIS. But it's also the war that we're being prepared for is not to fight militant atheists who want to take our Bible and schools away. That's not the battlefront. The battlefront is in here. The war I'm waging is against my flesh, against my sinful nature. That's where the battlefront is for me and for you. Now, I believe the victory's already won. But there's still damage being done. And I have to live in that victory. I have to claim that victory. I have to see that victory fulfilled. And so I can't relax and cruise because even though the enemy's defeated, he's still there at me all the time, trying to distract me for what God has for me, trying to deceive me as to who I am, even though I know this is the battlefront. If the church would just be who the church is called to be, if we would just live in the identity that God has given us, game over. Within this great war, there will be battles that will have to be fought. Battles for our time, our attention, our priorities, for who and what we give our heart to. The staffing structure here is pretty full on for me and my family and for my friends. I don't want to lose my job. But even more than that, I don't want to be outside God's will. What I want is what he has for me. If God doesn't want me to be employed here at the Rock for the next season, or ever again, then I don't want to work here. I only want to do what he has planned for me. And don't think for a minute that when my contract expires on the 17th of April, that coming off staff means that I can relax now as a passenger. That I can cruise for a bit. I've worked hard. I've, I've earned it. Because I know there are no passengers on a landing ship. 
There are no passengers in the church. I'm not being retired. I'm being reassigned. You don't retire from the kingdom of God. And you can't resign your calling from God. His word says in Romans 11.29 that his gifts and his calling are irrevocable. I believe God has called me to teach. And I am going to continue to teach until I am dead. And I believe I'm going to come into new revelation in wherever I end up working. I'm looking forward to the new challenges of probably working in the marketplace for the first time in my career. can be a little insular here in the church. I'm going to face challenges that I've never faced before. And through those challenges, God is going to mold me even more and shape me more into the likeness of his son. And I'm going to teach through that. And it is going to be awesome. I'm going to come to see more of your perspective on things, juggling the same kind of issues that you do. Wanting to put the kingdom of God first, but the pressures of your job outside of the church. I'm going to be equipped to a whole other level to help equip you in that. I can't wait. Can't wait to get a job so I can do that, but I can't wait. When it comes down to it, this message and this prophecy we're looking at, they're not about jobs. It's not about volunteering at the church either. Yes, we need volunteers to serve here, But there is a bigger picture. There's a bigger mission. The church is not what happens here on a Sunday. This is not about filling the jobs around here that staff have been doing so that we can keep doing what we've been doing. God wants us to stop doing what we've always been doing and let him show us what he wants us to do. And I believe that we have the resource in spiritual gift and faith and physical material resource to accomplish everything he has given us. So we're not looking to sustain old models, but let him build up his new model. Now that you're getting me out of the way, we can start to do that. church is not what happens here on Sunday. The church is us. And we know that. The church is God's people, filled with his spirit, releasing his spirit to work through us, wherever we are. Activating the spiritual gifts. Gifts he has blessed us with, wherever we are. Utilizing the skills he's been developing in us to advance his kingdom, wherever we are. seems like God is leading me and leading us again into a wilderness season. In fact, no, I I don't believe we ever left it. The revelation of wilderness is something which is quite strong for me, and I know that not everyone really got it. Wilderness, despite what it sounds like, is is not a bad season. It's not a barren season, I believe, either. For me, the wilderness is the season when God plants new life. 
when he renews life. When I look through the history of the Israelites released from bondage in Egypt, journeying to the promised land, the history of their time in that promised land seems to me like some of their very best years were the wilderness years. In the wilderness, they came to know who their God was, a God they did not know. In the wilderness, they came to trust in him for provision, and they received provision for their daily food every day from his hand, from heaven. They learned that their God is faithful and they could trust in him. They were completely dependent on him. They learned to follow every day looking for the cloud, every night looking for the fire, moving when he moved. They learned to follow their God. They learned to trust him in battle, knowing that only when hands were raised would the victory be won and only with their God would their victory be won. They came to see that their God was faithful and powerful and they could trust in him. This is the wilderness. This is a great season. A season to be transformed into the people that we need to be. Israelites needed the wilderness because they were not the people they needed to be to come in and claim the land that God had promised them. And I don't believe we are yet the people we need to be to claim all the promises God has for us. And that's why this season is so exciting. That's why this season is so exciting for me. Why losing my job is exciting. Because now it means I have to trust in him to a whole other level. And I can more and more be transformed into who I need to be. How cool is that? The staff restructure and redundancies is not a sign that the wheels are falling off this place. It's a sign that the whole structure of the church is being restored by God back to his blueprint, back to the way it's supposed to be. This is a season for my head, my heart to be restored, for our heads, our hearts to be restored, to be renewed. This is a good season. Let's give into it and let him have his way. Thank you.